Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. We've got testimonies like that for, planned for every week because we've got a lot of people who are living in the journey with Jesus and these testimonies just evolve and they develop. And I want you to know, God wants to journey with you and he wants to develop in you a testimony that's just, that, that speaks to the faithfulness of God and all that God is doing in our world. And so we're still in our, our mini-series called Move Shifting Paradigms this week. And this is week three. And we've covered, the first two weeks we covered giving. I said it last week, not because it's the, 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 the one we need the most, it's the one we hate to hear the most. And so we double down on that, all right? And this week we're going to talk about paradigm shift number two, which is loving. And it's found, if you thumb through there, it's about page eight. It's got me wearing a camel hair, tan camel hair jacket. That's where you're going to be paradigm shift loving. And so if you brought your, your journal with you today, hold it up. I want to see. Okay. Yeah. If you didn't, you probably left it under the seat of the car. Okay. Wherever it's at, we want you to bring these back every week. We want you to take some notes. Okay. I prepare all week and it, I know you're just like me. It goes in one ear and out the other, maybe a little bit lands, but we want you to take some notes. So even if you don't have your journal, write some things down so it'll help you learn it over time. Also, I want to pay particular attention to this card we told you about. This is your giving card, your commitment card. We will be taking these up to 7th and 14th of March. And so stick that on your refrigerator with those magnets that came in your bag. Be prayerful about how God might choose to use you uh, moving forward. Our uh, passage, our theme verse for this series and for this journey we're on called Move Shifting Paradigms is 1 Corinthians 9, 22. Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, meaning he might get in the game in rescuing somebody from their original destination, which is hell, and setting them on a pathway headed to heaven with God through Jesus. I've become all things, whatever it takes, to all people, no matter who they are, so that by all means, whatever I've got to do, so that some people are going to get saved. And that's the shift. That's who we have to become as individuals. Listen to me, every person in here, God wants to include you. God doesn't want to just include your wife. Ladies, God doesn't just want to use your husband. He doesn't just want to use your children. He wants to use you in his kingdom agenda, which is so much bigger than who you are. And when that happens, life gets real. Life gets exciting and, vigor and, and invigorating because all of a sudden you realize you're seeing things happen that you could never accomplish on your own because it's bigger than you. It's God doing what only God can do. And so we're going to be talking about loving today. Everybody say, I love you. Well, thank you. That's the kindest thing you've told the preacher all week, man, corporately. That's awesome. Now, here's the problem with this. When we talk about loving, we've got to shift our paradigms because we've defined love the wrong way. We've looked at the Bible and we've looked at what we think about love being and we merged the two together. And I want you to know this morning, what you think love is, is not what God's talking about in the Bible most often when he says love. And I want you to understand today that what God wants to do is, is help you understand and redefine what love is from his perspective according to his word so that you can live more freely and more fully for him. Listen to what it says in 1 John Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. And then it says this, it's powerful. It says God is love. It's who he is. It's his nature. He didn't just create love. He is love. It just oozes from his character. And it says the one who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in him. So I want you to get this. This is God is love. And we believe and trust in his love. And the one who lives in him, his love abides in us. What does that mean? It means if you are a disciple of Jesus, who is God incarnate, God with a bod, God who lived, flesh, okay? If you are a disciple of him, you are supposed to begin to love like he loves. And I want to help you learn this today. I want to help you see this today. And I want you to, to, today to learn how you can apply and begin to demonstrate a real biblical love in your life. The title of the message is this. You ready? What's in your hand? 
Ask the person next to you what's in your hand. What's in your hand? A crutch. That's, I'm glad you're here on the front row. Crutches and all. He's my hero for the day. Broke his ankle. Decided to wakeboard into a tree. And, um, and then uh, he got the, snapped some bones. He's on the front row. Hero for the day. That's what I'm talking about, commitment to Jesus. Man, that's just, I'm serious, man. You just stoked me up right there. All right, and, and so to become all that God wants you to be and to become all that God wants our church to be, we have to love well. We have to love well. Tell the person next to you, you need to start loving well. Now, ladies, some of y'all been wanting to say that all week long. Well, you just, it just, man, the, the juice is just, I, I love saying you need to love well, okay? It was Valentine's week. Hopefully, they loved better than normal, okay? But we need to all learn how to love well. So here's the problem. We got an English definition of love. We got one definition that kind of encompasses all of the parameters of love. And then we go back 2,000 years, and our, our, uh, de our definition today doesn't apply to the word love in in the New Testament 2,000 years ago because it was in Greek. And there's about six words in the Greek that mean love. And we got one. And I joke about this all the time. It's why I, it, there's, there's a disparity, and yet you can't find it because we use the same word. I, 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 right down here on Central Avenue, there's a pizza place called Elidio's. Anybody eat at Elidio's? I love their pizza, man. Anybody love their pizza? And I've been married for 36 years this week, and I love my wife. Now, there's a problem right there. I just said, I love Elidio's pizza and I love my wife. That's the same word. That ain't very affectionate toward my wife, okay? So we've got to unpack the word love. Listen to what it means in the English language. You ready? English dictionary, love. Intense affection, romantic attachment, a great interest in, the object of affection to find pleasure in. One word, and yet it reaches both ends of the spectrum in what it is we're talking about and what it means. Now, now, the problem is now we're going to go back to the Greek. I want to help you understand they had specific words. If you'll remember when we were studying Daniel, it talked about Rome would be one of the world leaders in the future. And the reason is because God used them to write a language that would reach the world. It was called Koine Greek. It was a world that would communicate the gospel to the whole world. And so in Greek, God is very specific. He allowed this language to be very specific. Uh, one word for love is eros, E-R-O-S, eros. And it is the romantic, the passionate or sensual love. And yet it's the most common variety of our word love when we use it. But it's not. It, it, it's like I'm old and I used to watch cartoons when I was a little boy. And one of my favorite characters was, was a skunk named Pepe Le Pew. Anybody know Pepe Le Pew? Pepe Le Pew was always on the hunt for a female skunk. And he would use the coolest words. I remember like kid. He says, hey, beautiful lady, let's go to the Casbah. We will make beautiful music together. Okay? That was romantic. That's Eros love. Okay? He's on the hunt. Okay? That's not what, the, usually in the Bible, it's not what, that's not the word. That's not the word. That one doesn't appear. Uh, in, in, in terms of our daily living for Jesus. Another one would be phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo. All right, it is a brotherly love, friendship, camaraderie, loyalty, sacrifice, and support. In America, we have a city called Philadelphia. Philadelphia. It was named by the one who started the city. His name was William Penn, who was of the Quaker religion. And he built the city in hopes that it would be a city where people could just get along and worship freely together. Philadelphia. Now, it's kind of funny. For years, it was like in the top five in murder per capita, okay? They weren't playing it out very well. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Another word for Greek in the, another word for love in the Greek, in the Greek language is storge, storge, S-T-O-R-G-E apostrophe. It says, it relates to natural familial love such as the love between a parent and a child. You may not have noticed it last week, but myself, my wife, and both of my daughters had this red shirt on that they made. Mine was underneath the rest of the stuff, but it said, theirs said, uh, uh, I love you the most. Mine said, I love you more. So when they were little, I'd grab their hand or we'd be sitting somewhere and I'd just pinch their neck a little bit, not pinch, just you know, squeeze their neck a little bit, three times, I love you. It's like Morse code, they knew what it meant. And then they'd reach over and they'd squeeze my hand four times. I love you more. And then I would squeeze their hand five times. I love you the most. And the one that started it won the game. Okay, it's like tic-tac-toe. You start it, you better win. 
Okay, and, and so, so this is a love that you have between your children and your spouse. It's, it's a storge, a familial love. But then there's another love in the Greek language. It's a supernatural love. It's a love that transcends anything we understand. It's a love that is not an adjective or a noun. It is an action verb. This form of love has hands and feet. This form of love is a demonstration of the heart's desire. And the word is agape, A-G-A-P-E apostrophe, agape. This is the love that God is. This, God is love, God is agape. And yet this one love, all those others, we do okay with phileo. We do okay with storge. We do good with eros, okay? We're terrible at agape. Why? Because agape requires that we lay down ourselves and we pursue the benefit of somebody else. Agape love is a love that's bigger than ourselves. It's boundless in compassion. It's infinite in empathy. It is the purest form of love. It is God. It is free from desires and expectations, and it always looks for the betterment of the other person. Anybody in here willing to raise their hand and say, that's me? Anybody got your picture in the dictionary on that Greek word? No, because it's against the grain. It's against our flesh nature. In fact, if somebody says, yeah, you need to sacrifice for your family. Hey, you need to love that person more unconditionally. We just don't like it. We know it's true, and yet that is who God is. And God's expectation for you, tell the person, he's talking to you, is agape love. Now, watch what happens. We're going to see in just a few minutes what it looks like, and we would all agree the reason this is so important, because most of the world are not givers, they're takers. Uh, most of the world wants to receive more than they want to distribute. Now, you don't have to elbow your neighbor, okay, but you can think about them, and I see it in your eyes, okay? That's most of the world we live in. They want something. It's what's in it for me. If you think of somebody who is not that character, who would you think of? One person might be Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa gave herself in service and love to the needy poor of the world. Just gave everything away. Okay, you see it on display every now and then, but it's not normal. It's not our natural tendency. And so agape would later be translated into Latin, and the word is uh, caritas, which means charity. So agape love, now listen to me, the love that God wants to, to, wants to swell up in your life is this love, okay? Now where do we first see a great picture of this word in the Greek, agape? Where else? John 3, 16, for God so unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly gave his son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, you see that? He, he unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly loved you so much that he gave all of himself through his son to you to pay your sin debt. That's what it looks like. That's the, that's the big, bigger picture of it, okay? So, so now... Agape love, when we read these words love in this next passage I'm going to read, every single time, it's agape love. It's not storge, it's not phileo, it's not eros. Every time, it is agape. So I want you to say these words with me. I want you to write them down. Are you ready? Self-giving. Okay, but it's terrible, terrible. Let's back up. Let's back it up. I want you to say this with me. Self-giving. Unconditional. And sacrificial. We don't even like those words. Now, we like it for somebody else, but we don't like to put those shoes on. Now, look what happens. We're going to see it just, just, just pour out of this passage in 1 John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, it's over near Revelation because John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote the Revelation, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. These little epistles. Now, here's what he says. He's going to talk about love, 1st John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Dear friends, now, every time the word love appears, I'm going to read those words, self-giving, unconditional, unconditional, and sacrificial, because I want you to understand that's what it is, and it'll help you. It'll shine a light on this passage, and if it shines a light on the passage, it could shine a light into your heart 
of who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live your life. Now watch this. It says, dear friends, let us unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly love one another. Because unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love is from God. And everyone who unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not unconditionally, sacrificially, and selflessly love does not know God. Because God is unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless. By this, the unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love of God is revealed in us. That God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love. Not that we have, not that we have unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly loved God selflessly loved God, but that he unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, if God so unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly loved us, then we also ought to unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. Why is it important that we love like this? Why is it important we understand this and let it penetrate who we are and put it on display? Watch this. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. But if we unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly love one another, God resides in us. And his unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love is perfected. In us here it is no one has ever seen God but when we receive his agape selfless love in our life and we begin to act like that and put that on display his love is perfected through you now this is cool we sang that song there's a world out there who's looking for you you know, so make me more like Jesus. That song is perfect. Listen, you can, I can see it right here. I can see out in the valley where there's a thousand homes in Sturkey Valley right there. A thousand, okay, literally, okay. Some of those are saved. Not most of them. The Bible says broad is the way to destruction and narrow the way to righteousness. And so most of them are dying in their sins, waiting for somebody to come along with a heart just swelling up and exploding with agape, selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love so God's love can be on display through you. Now, that's cool. That's just cool. You're like a big monitor that's supposed to be just showing the love of Jesus, okay? I'm telling you, man. And that's for dudes, too. Guys, yeah, that's good for a woman. No. God calls you to do that. The, the pe Paul was on the road to Damascus with letters to persecute the church, to murder some, imprison others, and stomp out what's called the way, the people of the way, the early church. Jesus met him, and he said, dude, why are you persecuting me, man? And he says, I don't even know who you are. He said, I'm the one you're persecuting me. He blinded him for three days and changed his name from Saul to Paul, and the rest of his life, his heart was full of agape, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. That's what he does. Men, women, he wants to use us all as a monitor to reveal, put on display, and, and perfect his love through us. You see, agape love is not a noun or an adjective. It's, it's an action verb. It's tangible and touchable and seeable. And because of it, the world is affected and physical matter is altered. I mean, it's a, it's, that's it. Things change because it's different. It cuts through the lies. It cuts through the noise. It penetrates the confusion because it's from God, and he wants to pour it out through you. How cool is that? That the, 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 the God love wants to pour through you into a world that's dying to experience it. So often... We get it sideways. So, sir, so here's the thing. If loving is not a feeling or a thought or an expression of words, if, love, if this kind of love is demonstrated through action, 
What action would that be? Are you ready? Loving and serving go hand in hand. You can't love well if you don't serve well. And if you haven't experienced real love, you can't serve in a real way. So I want you to understand, loving is demonstrated through serving. And how important then is serving? Watch this. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, it says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful watcher. <laughs> no. Well done, good and faithful spectator. No. Well done, good and faithful bench warmer. No. Well done, good and faithful procrastinator. No. Well done, good and faithful taker, sponge. No. Well done, <clears throat> good and faithful servant or slave. He says now, based on the fact that you, you did well serving, look what he says. He says, you have been faithful over the smaller or the fewer things. I will make you ruler over many things. Watch this. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Wow. This is Jesus, God in the flesh. And he says, listen, if you serve well, you coming into heaven and experiencing all of the joy that I have for an eternity with me in heaven. And it begins the moment you start serving. I'm telling you right now, I got a friend right here, Oscar. And I love Oscar. He loves me. It's a thing, okay? Not a thing like a thing, but a thing, okay? <laughs> Had to clear that up, okay? Oscar takes care of our 11B, uh, feeding and originally showering the homeless. And we hope to get back to that this spring. And I remember when he came to me the very first time, he said, hey, would you have a problem? He said, hey, would you have a problem? We go down and feed some cheeseburgers downtown. And I said, no, man, let's do cheeseburgers. But what he didn't know, God had already put in my heart that we wanted to feed and shower homeless people. And I took him over to meet Tommy Evans, who had built the shower and food trailer. And bam, it just took off. You, that's one of the happiest guys I ever see in a week, okay? He's one of the happiest guys you ever know. Why? Because he serves well. When you serve well, you love well. When you serve well, you love well. He said what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in my joy. Joy swells up. There's a joy. And most of the church and the Christian community are lacking joy because they're not committed to serve. And if they're not committed to serve, they're not experiencing and demonstrating the love, the agape love of God. And so how do we love well? We serve well. Tell the person next to you, you need to serve well. Now, this is why God burdened my heart with the four paradigm shifts, and one of them was loving or serving. Because in about a month, we're going to move literally into the new building. And most of us, most of you haven't been in there, and you haven't experienced what God has given us. It's, it's amazing. It's going to be amazing. And this is going to be a student center, and we have more classrooms. It's amazing what God has done in a pandemic year of all years. All right? But if all we do is open up the doors to a new building, we failed miserably. You see, what God wants to do is put a building on this hill to accommodate more people. And you better believe this. They will come and check out that building. It's what people, they're tire kickers. Let's go over to Sturkey Hills, kick the tires on the new building. Okay, take it for a test drive. Okay, that's what people do. But when they come up here, if all they experience is a nice building, they might leave and say, man, that's a nice place. That's really cool. You know, but if they come up here and they experience unconditional, selfless, self-giving, sacrificing agape love, it's more than a visit. <sighs> Watch this. It's an experience. They've experienced, they've experienced the perfected love of God through people like you. <laughs> I know some of you, I know I see y'all. I'm a little surprised he would use you too, Okay. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm surprised he would use me. And yet, that's what he does. And, and so, it's, it's extremely important. Now, here's the problem. If I want to see what sacrificial, unconditional, selfless love looks like, why would I not go to the church to, like, get a picture, a glimpse of it? Most often, most churches, that's not where I would go. It's not where I would go. Okay. You know where I'd go? home of the Holy Bird, Chick-fil-A. You know, it's the truth. 
You go down to Chick-fil-A, they all wear the same common uh, attire. I call it a costume, but it's a uniform. They all have an appearance code that they all subscribe to. Okay? They all have a smile on their face. It's almost like a cult. Okay? And they're happy. Yeah, I'm excited to give you some lemonade. Okay? Chicken, whoo, you're going to love this chicken. I mean, I, it's like they gave them happy crack. I don't know what that is. Okay? They're all saying, it's true. And if, they, and if they're not, they won't be there next time. They'll be gone. Yeah, you need to go over to Burger King where everybody's sad. I don't even know where that came from, but, but it's true. It's true. They're sad at the Burger King. They're sad at the Burger King. So then, then what do they do? They're not just content giving you your food and your lemonade. They want to come out. You need anything else? No, I'm fine. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, yeah. Can I get you some more tea, some more, some more lemonade? Well, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Okay. Can I take your trash? Well, sure. That's nice. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. That drives me nuts. <laughs> I went through the drive-thru the other day, and I, I'd said thank you like nine times, and I got nine my, th my pleasures. So this time I'd, I got about 10 feet past the drive-thru. I stuck my head out. Thank you. It took off. I go, boom. <laughs> I was going to get one up on them. Okay. Now, we're not asking us all to wear the same costume. Okay to meet some kind of a dress code or appearance code, but we're saying this for crying out loud. Listen to me. If the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Messiah and Savior of a lost and dying world comes into our heart, infuses his Holy Spirit in us, it ought to change our countenance and our conversation. Our desire to serve should be our greatest pleasure because it's agape love putting on full display the perfected love of God through us. Whew, that's so good, and yet we miss it often. We miss it. And so we got to serve. I've got to serve. You've got to serve. We all have a place to serve. I read this article this week. This preacher said this. He said 270, peop 270 million people in America, 70 million are over 65 years old. That only leaves 200 million to work. 120 million are under the age of 20, leaving only 80 million people to work. 35 million of those work for the government. That leaves only 45 million to work. 5 million are in the military, leaving 40 million to work. 25 million city, state, and local government employees. That leaves 15 million. 14 million are on welfare. 13,800,000 are millennials who just don't want to work. That leaves 200,000 left to do all the work. 188,000 people on any given day in America are in the hospital. That leaves 12,000 people to work. 11,998 of them are in prison. That leaves two, me and you, and I'm tired. It's your turn. <laughs> Amen? The truth is, now those numbers are skewed, obviously, okay? But the truth is, the reason in the church 20% of the people carry 80% of the load and 20% of the people provide 80% of the resources, listen, is because 80% of the people have not stepped into the waters of agape love and started demonstrating it with serving and they have not been filled with the joy that the Lord says is theirs. And I'm just saying, why do we have to subscribe to that old plan? What if we all made a paradigm shift, meaning if I'm serving, I'm doubling down. I'm getting in the game a little deeper because I know how good it is to serve. And if I haven't ever served, I want to start at some level. But you know what happens? We send out these little cards, these little connection cards, and we beg and we plead. You know, we'd offer $5 to get them turned in, whatever it takes. Can't. There's 400 and something people go to church here every week, and we got about 50 of these cards. Why are you hanging on to your cards? I know you've been laboring over it in prayer every day fasting, praying, God, just tell me what it is. Okay. But no, what we do, we look at the card, and the devil convinces us this. I just, I just don't think I can serve. Okay, I, I would serve in the, in the nursery, but I don't like babies. I would serve in the children, but they don't like me. Um, I would greet, but I don't like to smile at people or welcome them to church. If that's you, you're ready. Get saved. Just get saved. And it'll change all that. Because listen, he served you on a cross. He died serving whew, 
so you can live serving, okay? Find your place. Listen, I'm going to start calling people. Notice you didn't turn in a card. I've given you a spot. Yeah, that's right, middle school. <laughs> You're going to be teaching middle schoolers. They're of the devil, and you've got them, okay? <laughs> Find your place to serve. And listen to me, church, if you don't know where to serve, I'm not looking for a, for a p position or a job for you. I'm looking for a heart that yields and says, I'm in. I want to shift paradigms. I want to experience what God has for me and the church and those people that show up when I'm loving like God loves. And so if you just put your name on there and just write on there, I got no clue. I'll talk, listen, we need so many greeters in the parking lot, at the doors. Our senior adults, they don't know it, because they, but they used to serve at the door, pass out. They're going to do it over there. I've already signed them. I hadn't gotten many cards from them. We need people just stand at the door and smile. Bunch of y'all good smilers, man. You are some happy people, okay? Happy people is, is, is a thing that people are looking for, okay? So sign up, say, I'll be a happy people. Okay, I'll stand at the door and smile and say, hey, I'm glad you're here, and open the door. I'll stand at the door and say, oh, you got children. Yeah, let me take you down here. We need people to serve. Put it on the card. We're not asking you to stand up here and preach a sermon or sing a solo, okay? Just, just serve at some level and see what God does in using you for his kingdom. And so what's in your hand was the title of the message, and we're almost done in about 30 minutes. Um, what's in your hand was the title of the message, okay? This is so cool. I've never preached this before. I've never seen this before, and it's solid, okay? So to find out what's in your hand, because that's the key to the whole thing, Let's look, let's go way back. Let's look back in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 in verse 14, a guy named Noah shows up. It says, make, God speaking, make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you should make it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and finish it leaving inch, 18 inches from the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make the lower, middle, and upper decks. Verse 22, here it is. What's in your hand? Noah did all God commanded him. He did indeed for a hundred years Noah said I'm just a craftsman a carpenter I got a hammer and a saw God said perfect for the job I've got for you for a hundred years him and his boys went out there and built a boat because he gave him what was in his hand now keep reading in the Bible you get up to Exodus chapter 4 verse 4 it says God talking to Moses and Moses answered to God and he said and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me but say, the Lord has not appeared to you. This is when he's going before Pharaoh to have Israel released from captivity. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground. He said, Moses, what do you got in your hand, bro? A stick? Put it on the ground. Just lay it down before me and, and watch what I do. Well, if you read the narrative, it says it turned into a snake, and then God said, Moses, pick it up by the tail. That's not where you pick a snake up by, but God was teaching him. And so he picked up this snake, turned it into a stick. So what's the significance of that? Watch this. Moving on down to Exodus chapter 14. He's still carrying around this stick. In verse 13 of Exodus 14, it says, Moses said to the people, they're standing by the sea. And Egypt is behind them with chariots and with arrows and spears and shields and horses and helmets. And Moses is standing with a couple of million Israelites on the shore of the sea, and he's got a stick. Look what happens. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand firm and see that the salvation of the Lord, that he will provide for you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. And you can be still. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And as for you, lift up your staff, lift up your stick, that thing in your hand, and extend your hand toward the sea and divide it so the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Moses had, been, had run away because he murdered an Egyptian and he ran back out into the wilderness for 40 years to learn how to lead stuff. And all he used was a stick, a staff. 
And in this moment, God said, what's that in your hand? Lay it down. I'm going to show you something. And on the day that he needed a miracle, he said, take that thing in your hand, hold it up toward me, and watch what I do. And they walked across on dry land, and the water came in and drowned all of the Egyptians. Not, not enough for you? What about this one? 1 Samuel 17. This is David. His name is mentioned 11, over 1,100 times in Scripture. It says, now David was the youngest while the three oldest sons followed Saul. And David was going back and forth from Saul in order to care for his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Meanwhile, for 40 days, the Philistine approached every morning and evening and took his position. That's Goliath, the giant. It says, and Jesse said to his son David, David, take your brothers this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and go quickly to the camp to your brothers and also take these 10 portions of cheese to their commanding officer and find out how your brothers are doing and bring back their pledge that they received the goods. And there was Saul and the whole Israelite army is in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. <laughs> That's what he thought fighting with the Philistines. Verse 20, so David got up early in the morning and entrusted the flock to someone else who would watch over it. And after loading up, he went just as Jesse had instructed him, obedience with what's in his hand. And he arrived at the camp as the army was going out to the battle lines, shouting its battle cry. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied to David, you aren't able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're just a boy. He has been a warrior from his youth. Verse 34, David replied to Saul, your servant has been a shepherd for his father's flock. And whenever a lion or a bear would come and carry off a sheep from the flock, I would go out after it, strike it down, rescue the sheep from its mouth. And if it rose up against me, I'd grab it by the jaw and strike it and kill it. Now watch this. Ever since David's been a little boy, he's taken what God put in his hands and he's used it for something greater. Here's a little boy who's out there taking care of sheep, and all he has is a sling. And you know how little boys do, okay? You want to throw something. You want to sling something. So no doubt while his sheep are calm over there, he's practicing. You know, he's putting up the beer cans on the log right there in Bethlehem, okay? Ping! Oh, God, nailed it, you know? And before you know it, ping! I mean, you know, he's got it. He's crafted. He's developed the thing that God put in his hand. And at the same time, when you read the narrative, you find out this. He did everything he's supposed to do. He's being obedient to the call, and he's taking what's in his hand and using it uh, to the best of his ability. And then a day comes when he's, his brothers are hiding in the rocks, man. And it says in verse 48, the Philistine drew steadily closer to David to attack him. While David quickly ran toward the battle line to attack the Philistine, David reached his, reached his hand into the bag and took a stone. Now, what's he got in his hand? A stone. And he says, and he slung it, striking the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank deeply into his forehead and fell to the ground and, his, and fell with his face to the ground. David served God with what was in his hands while he's guarding sheep. David served God when he showed up at the battle line with some cheese and some bread. David served God when, the, when, when, the, when Goliath, the Philistine, was cursing God and trying to kill him. He took what was in his hand. He used it for God's glory. And God takes the smallest things and amplifies it and uses it for the greater good. Now, maybe we'll never be a Noah. Maybe God will never tell you, I'm flooding the earth. I want you to build a big boat. Okay, probably not going to happen because he said he wouldn't flood again. Okay, and maybe you'll never be a Moses. Maybe I'll never be a Moses, you know, with a fancy stick in my hand. And maybe I'll never be a David. Maybe I'll never be the king of a nation. Maybe my job is a little more discreet. Now watch this. I want you to understand the power and the significance of the smallest things that we just have in our hands that we give to God. Look over at Matthew chapter 6. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, and a large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing. So Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Jewish feast of the Passover was near, and then Jesus, when he looked and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus had said this only to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough to feed them. For each one, even to get a little, 
Verse 8, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he said to Jesus, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many? And Jesus said, you have everybody sit down. Now, there was a lot of grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Everybody agrees, 5,000 men, wives, most of them there, children were there, probably over 15,000 people. And it says, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated, and he then did the same with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over, so that nothing is wasted, so they gathered them up, they filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves and uh, left over by the people who had eaten. A little boy, no name, mentioned one time, shows up with a kid's meal, okay? Didn't even have a toy in it. That ain't a good kid's meal. And he shows up, and because he gave God what was in his hand, Jesus performed one of the most amazing miracles in all that's recorded in Scripture. One time, is, he's mentioned no name. I was talking with, I think, Kelsey, and I, I said, one day, when we live in eternity, no doubt we're going to have encounters. It'll be different. Encounters with people of the Bible. And I look forward, maybe, just maybe one day, you know, run into a guy, hey, what's your story? I love stories. I love testimonies, man, how people came to Jesus, and now they have eternal life. I love hearing people's story. I, and, and maybe one day, just run into this guy, say, hey, man, what's, what's up? I've never seen you before. What's your story? Man, I... You know that little boy that had a lunch? I'm the guy. You're the lunch boy? Man, I've told your story a hundred times. You know, and, and just think about that. In the Bible, no name one time, and yet God used him in a powerful, powerful way because he gave him what was in his hand. Look with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 9. Here's another one mentioned one time. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which in translation means Dorcas. <laughs> I would have just had him leave that out. It's Tabitha with a T. Dorcas, I don't, don't use that name much. But her name was Dorcas, and she was continually doing good deeds and acts of charity. Now, she died. Now look down to verse 39. So they brought him, Peter, to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him crying and showing him tunics and other clothing that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out, and he knelt down, and he prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and helped her get up. Then he called the saints and the widows and presented her alive, Dorcas. She shows up right here. It says she only did good deeds. And the other widow said, I want you to look at all the stuff she made, man. She took care of every time somebody needed something. She would give her needle and her thread, and she would make them something. And because of that, God used Peter to raise her from the dead. And she's recorded in here simply because she gave God her needle and her thread. And now the last one. And this is one I simply had just overlooked for my whole life. Okay? Look what it says in Romans chapter 16. Now pause. Romans is a letter written to the Romans. Okay? It is arguably the greatest letter ever written in history. In history, in it you find theology to know more about your sinful condition and more about the good and gracious love of, of an eternal God. In it you find a road to, for the Romans, a way to be saved. It, it, it is unbelievable how packed it is and how deep it is and, and yet how shallow it is that anybody can read it and receive something. Okay, that's the book. That's the letter. Now watch what happens. At the end of chapter 19... It says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my compatriots. Verse 22, I, Tertius, who am writing this letter, greet you in the Lord. That's it. Only time he shows up. By the way, my name is Tertius, and I'm getting to write the greatest letter ever written. Why? Because I had a pen and a piece of paper and Paul was getting it from God and I wrote it. I was the writer. It doesn't matter what it looks like. 
in your hand. What matters is what it looks like when you give it to him, when you put it in his hand. And I'm here to tell you, church, there's people in here who have served, some served well. I'm inviting you to dive deeper. I'm inviting you to step in at another level. And there's 80% of us who just haven't found our place. I'm inviting you to experience the joy that stands before you when you serve well because you understand how to love well. And when you know that it's not from you, it's when it's the love of God through you. Now, you should have received this card. And if you already turned one in, fine. If you want to turn it in again, maybe you want to add to the list, fine, turn it in again. We've got an altar up here. And during the final song, I want to invite you to come right on there. Fill it out. Put your name on there. And put your whatever, whatever you want to. If you don't know what to do, just say, hey, help me figure it out. We have people, a team of people, who's going to help you figure it out. And if you didn't get a card today, there'll be some cards up here. We want you to figure it. We want you to dive in and get involved. Because it doesn't matter if it's a hammer or a stick or a, a snack or a sling or a lunch or a craft or a pen. Whatever's in your hand, whatever that thing is that God allows you to do, he wants to use it for his glory and for his kingdom. So whether you're going to be a, a Moses or a Noah, whether you're going to be a David or whether you're going to be a Dorcas, whether you're going to be a Tertius, whether you're going to be a little no-name boy with a lunch, I want you to understand something. God wants to use you. And it, there's none greater in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, God knows every Batman needs a Robin. In God's kingdom, God knows every Pooh needs a Piglet. Okay, in God's kingdom, he knows that every Donald Trump better have a Mike Pence. Okay, in God's kingdom, there is no big and little, no large, no small. Everybody's simply using what God has placed in your hands for his glory and his eternal good. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to close in prayer for you today. This is your time to serve, to get in the game. This is your time to say, I'm willing to step out. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for those who have gone before us, who served well and loved well. But God, I beg you, you'll just, you'll just begin to stir in the hearts of individuals that today they'll just, they won't just think about it, but they'll dive in to experience all that you have for them because it's greater than they can know. It's supernatural, agape love, demonstrated through serving, displaying the perfection of your love we give it to you we expect from you to do great things in Jesus name amen now let me paint a picture to help you see the significance of the people behind the scenes let me get one up here this is Carol Foreman why she's with Dan I have yet to figure that out was Dan in here yeah good I just threw him under the bus he don't even know it come in just right here okay it's locked okay Carol is our financial assistant. She's been doing this for about six years. When you get a worship guide, she's typed it up. She handles our finances with Tim. She is a perfectionist. She's meticulous. You'd be hard-pressed to look through the bulletin and find a typo. If I did it, you'd think it was a joke, okay? She is behind the scenes, and she's diligent every week. Most of you fuss if you don't get a bulletin with the announcements in it, okay? Have you thanked her? Probably not. She didn't even know it was her. Now watch this. There's another one. This is Tiffany Warwick. Tiffany takes care of our facilities. She cleans the floor, she wipes down the counters, she cleans the toilets. Have you thanked her? Probably hadn't, probably didn't know she did it. She does it behind the scenes. But let me tell you something, ladies. When you go into the throne room, okay, you expect that toilet to be clean. And if you don't, you call on somebody, usually me. And it's not because she didn't clean it, it's because somebody came through after she cleaned it. Okay, behind the scenes serving, you want that whatever it is to happen, but you don't really know who does it to show them appreciation, but they're important. Watch this one. This is Mindy right here. I'm, not, I'm still confused why she's with John. Okay, Mindy and Zach Kirk serve the church by providing meals for college and youth on Mondays and Wednesdays and any other time we need food, okay? She has a servant spirit. Most people don't even know she does that. Parents of youth bring their kids over here expecting, them to, expecting to get something to eat. 
College students come every Monday night, Monday night and they know they're going to get a great meal. It's because Mindy and Zach, they serve behind the scenes and make it happen. Nobody knows. But they're serving with what God has in their hand, a spatula and a fork or a spoon, whatever that is. That's what it looks like. Look at this one. This is Raylan Arnold right here. Okay. And, and let me see the other one the, one, the next one too. This is Raylan. The next one. There it is. And this is Sawyer. Okay. This is Sawyer England. What do two little girls have to do in the kingdom? How are they serving? They write me letters, man, and draw cartoon images of me. Looks better than me. They take little rocks and color on them with a cross and colors and give them to me. They encourage the preacher with what's in their hands. I'm telling you. It's, it's unbelievable if people just give what's in their hands and let God use it. The next one. Oh, that's my grandkids. I don't even know how they got in there. <laughs> Actually, I do know how they got in there. Because these little guys are our future. And what's in their hands is joy and love and faith. And they teach Popo just by loving me. You keep on doing what you're doing. And, and now Juliana, she's to a place she knows, she understands I'm a preacher. Judson's known it for a long time. Juliana's to a place, you going to church? I said, I'm going to church. You going to preach? Nope, that's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. I'll, I'll be doing that on Sunday. Okay? So they, they encourage me. They inspire me because that's our tomorrow. Okay, is there another one? That's the last one in there, bro. It's the last one. So on your card, these are your list. Preschool, children, students, college, prayer, cooking, AV, production, community groups, worship team, men's ministry, ladies' ministry, connections, greeters. There's a list, but the list is just a list. I don't know what's in your hand. You know what's in your hand. And God knows what he put in your hand. Put that on the card and let God use you for something bigger than you and let him swell you up with the joy that only comes from a, lo a love, comes from the love of a God so big that we can't even fathom. Let's stand and let's sing. And I invite you to put your cards at the altar. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.